welcome everybody for those in the audience. Thank you for joining us to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discuss travel industry news you want to talk about. My name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I'm the CEO um, at Agentivity and the TravelDataPlatform.com, where we help travel management companies and corporate travel buyers gain control over their booking data. And uh, I'm Anne. I'm a consultant in the travel industry, and I work through the brands of LeapShift and ExploreTech. Hello, everyone. My name is Ash. I am the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you all the important updates in business travel in under 15 minutes. And this is Linking the Travel Industry. So once again, it's really nice to see some familiar faces. Thank you for giving us your time. The format of this discussion evolves around a post I do on a Friday where I've gathered most of the relevant travel industry stories, and then we just discuss them on here. I started my post last week with the news about Lufthansa. They were in the news twice last week. First for expanding their green fares, which I think they've tested initially in a smaller market, and then now expanded to most of their routes. It was a very interesting post by Shashank, uh, about this, where he talked about how they are actually quite high in cost, in some cases double, and it would be very interesting to see if people are going to follow through and book that. So before we talk about their next story that they were also in the news for, Ash, I'm going to jump to you first on this one, because I think Anne's going to help us talk about their second story more. What do you think? Are they going to be successful with selling those green fares? I think that people are going to struggle with this one quite a bit, and we've talked about this several times on the show. One thing is that you offer these green fares, then and how do people know that they're actually being used for the right reason? I think there's stories in the industry already of airlines actually not doing that. So there seems to be a little bit of a market now that's being created where there's some doubt that people have with these things. And I think that if this is some sort of a marketing ploy or some sort of a marketing tactic, then I think it'll backfire. But if they're going to do it for real and legitly and you know properly and all that kind of good stuff and have the ability for passengers to actually understand what's really happening and not use some generic numbers of some sort, then I think that it might actually work. But I have my doubts in this. We've always agreed on the fact that there is no reason for airlines to put this in front of customers, right? Why do travelers have to worry about this? This is an airline problem. They should solve it themselves. And I think this kind of exploitation of marketing in some sort of way, I don't think it's a great idea. Yeah, I'm with you on all those points. And Anne, I think so are you, right? I'm with you on all those points. And there were actually on that post some excellent comments made by Eric Stam that I encourage you to read because he is um, obviously very knowledgeable in this. And, and I think, sadly, I think it, it could backfire. And we've, we've seen posts as well saying that 80% of this is not used for the purpose it should be used for. And you have to be very, very clear on where the money is going towards. Really? We've been talking about it before and saying that it should be the airline's responsibility to yeah. do this. And then the second part of their story, which uh, Lufthansa was in the news for, was about their system meltdown. And this was a, a major story, wasn't it, uh, Anne? It was most, it certainly was, yes. Well, it was um, Deutsche Bahn doing some uh, work at Frankfurt Airport and uh, cut off one of telecoms cables. It, and it can't be that the, yeah. simple a story, right? It surely It is. It is. That's actually what happened. I felt quite sorry for Lufthansa because, I mean, they've had to bear the front for all of this. 
and you know there was so much talk about various IT systems etc but it was actually a cable and that's in in the press that's and everything and then of course we can discuss how vulnerable should you be to the one cable I imagine being that engineer I mean Ash can you imagine that yeah that would really suck I I lost my internet the other day but it wasn't like causing global meltdown of any kind you know the other thing that Lufthansa was the news for actually and there's a third story with Lufthansa this past week is that Lufthansa actually put out plans to cut 34,000 flights from their original summer schedule wow. not a good week yeah, no. at all it was very problematic as well because there were seven airports on strike that Friday I, I believe this <laughs> happened Wednesday right well they had all the effects of that and then on Friday there were like I said seven airports on strike which was very problematic as well moving on and staying with airlines i find this a very nice story this is about ll israeli airlines and etihad launching a a frequent flyer partnership it is obviously significant given the backgrounds of the countries they represent and i think this is just such a nice development to continue on from there that there's now a frequent flyer partnership oh yes i mean it it does make us happy doesn't it Mm -hmm. i mean especially in these troubled times the rest of the world you you almost feel like saying but it's just so it's it's really nice with some positive news that there are some relationships that can improve I thought this story was a great story. This actually was from 2020 when the two countries signed the agreement with each other saying that they were going to do this. Now they're kind of evolving that relationship into frequent flyer points and programs and cross accruals and all that kind of good stuff like any two good airlines should. They're doing the right thing. The next story involves TripStax, the TMC technology supplier. They've added Journey to their offering, and I'm very pleased to say we've got Daniel here from Journey to just tell us more about this integration and what it means. Yeah, thank you. So um, Daniel Price, co-founder at Journey, um, launched the business last year after being in build for a couple of years. And yeah, as uh, as Rian mentioned, we, we've just done integration with TripStacks with our ground transport content. So effectively, our mission when we started this business was to effectively find a way to pull together the highly fragmented ground transport industry. If anyone's ever used ground transport, you'll know you've got kind of drivers, you've got taxi companies, ride hail companies, other types of technology it's all quite um, quite a mess really and the one thing that was clear to me is that it's very absent from the travel industry as a whole you know you have rail air hotel car hire but ground transport's always the last thing on anyone's mind so this integration really helps us complete our mission really uh, in the future of bringing our kind of content and the taxi industry ride hailing chauffeur industry within the technical stack that travel management companies use today so that was that was kind of our goal and when we first met the team at TripStacks last year became really quite obvious. We were super impressed with what they're doing from a technical point of view with all the modules that they have. And what's really important to us is with Portal being such a, a key, I suppose, aggregator of trips, itineraries, everything, we can kind of sit neatly as a module within their technology for our joint clients. That was the vision. Um, Scott's done a, a fantastic job of kind of pulling our API into the platform. We've got single sign-on um, in plan for our clients as well. So it's, it's really just so that you don't need to leave any of your existing technical environment to make a ground transport booking. Now that's fantastic news and congratulations to you guys, uh, to both of you. That's well done. And Ash, any comments, any questions? Yeah, from my side, I have a question, Danielle. You know, one of the things I think that as you move forward in this relationship and really any relationship with a 
technology TMC company, I think that one of the biggest things is going to be adoption of that service. So how do you see the user shifting away from what they do today from the ground transportations that they do book versus saying, hey, instead of going directly, instead of doing it in the manner that I'm doing it today, I'm going to do it through this process that is being introduced by my company, right? So I think getting adoption is going to be the trick here. How do you see that playing out? I think it's a really good question. It's the one that we sit down probably and, and talk about the most with our TMC partners and obviously, you know, partners like Tripstacks. And I suppose the answer there is for the buyer, the big challenge is where are all these trips? You know, where is the, the you know, you've got a, a receipt coming in from Uber, you've got a handwritten receipt in usually in your employee's handwriting because they just got thrown one by the driver. You've got local taxi operators. So you've got all this random content not available within the platforms today. So the question is, is behavior the way it is today because that works best? Or is it that way because it was not available in the way that maybe would make the most sense? Our, our vision has always been to bring ground transport up to that kind of of level within travel whereby it's seen as the most important like most important linking feature between every piece of travel you know you've got your airline every trip to the flight has two ground transport transactions attached to it so to pull that in for a travel buyer and to be able to know where the traveler is when they're using these kind of local taxi companies global taxi companies is probably going to be one of the most critical things and if you think about being able to bring the local taxi company that's kind of in the town where you live directly invoicing through your existing platform in through the TMC, you know, that's something that will you know, just change the way that people are booking travel. Our next story after this uh, relates to South American aviation, where we report about um, Latam Airlines. Um, they also interested in buying Viva, which is Colombia's third largest airline. Edward Russell talked about this. It's an interesting development because there are other airlines also interested in Viva. And so there's a bit of a bidding war that's going to start there. Good news for Viva, I would imagine, because it's like the second or third airline interested in there. Oh, yeah, they seem to. Yeah, they seem to win the popularity contest, mm -hmm. right? There's obviously consolidation going on, right, in, in yeah. South America. And of course, consolidations are needed. So, um, yeah, good for them. It's going to be interesting to see where they end up. Ash, any comments on that story? Consolidation in South America is definitely needed. Let the biggest one win. And you're going to need that in that market, right? I mean, you're going to need the ability to spend money and it's going to take a long time to recover. So it's not going to be a quick fix in any way or form. So whoever is interested in buying and acquiring and standardizing all the airlines in the South American market, I think they should do it. My next post was about uh, Clive Ratton from the BTA. He wrote uh, about some very strong comments made by, and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce his surname correctly, Steve Geepy uh, of Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays. He talked about the airline industry being the, quote, whipping boy in the sustainability row. And it's a very good article. Actually makes some very good reading. It kind of ties back to our original conversation about Lufthansa, right? It does. And uh, as we move forward into the sustainability world, and, you know, the airlines are doing a really good job, actually. The amount of SAF that's being produced has increased by, I think, 2x, if not 3x. The 2023 plans are definitely on track already. I think that there's definitely going to be a focus. I think that the area that they're going to get it wrong is probably in doing things like green fares, not being transparent and other things like that. I love the article and I did read it. So I thought it was really good. And I recommend everyone um, who hasn't read it to read it. I was really shocked that in the article it says that people in general seem to believe that 
I think, of the total emissions are due to aviation, where in reality it's 2.6%. That is a massive misconception. And it's very interesting how airlines have sort of become like, you know, like I said, it is the, the one you whip. And uh, it also ties back into the Lufthansa story, uh, how we have to be very careful. And in my view, I think we should have far better lobbying than we've got and really make it more transparent. Well, I just don't think that they should go down this road, Anne, right? I mean, the fact that they're going down this road only uh, spells trouble to me. I think that they should stay away from this conversation. I think they should put themselves in a scenario where they control the narrative completely. And the minute you bring out the stuff into the public sector and you start to divulge information that can backfire on you, I think that the airlines have to be smart about this. And I don't think they're doing a good job of that at all. No, they're not doing a good job. They're not being smart about it. They're sort of saying that you pay for some carbon emissions and, and that that is the magic fix, right? It's not the magic fix. It's not the, the narrative that should be out there. But I, I do believe we need more information out there, definitely. You remember a few weeks ago, I brought up a story where an airline was saying that they flew a sustainable flight, but really they were putting the sustainability of that flight down and kicking the can down the road, so to speak. So yeah. while that flight was using regular fuel and it was not a sustainable flight, they actually claimed it to be a sustainable flight. <laughs> yeah. And not only did they yeah. claim it, they claimed it to be the first sustainable flight. So it's yeah. like they're using words and they're playing games. And I, to me, it's like, OK, you're going too far. I had one more story again by Edward Russell. I see I've used him twice this week in my news. He talked about um, Norwegian Airlines investing heavily in their frequent flyer program in order to, what he suspects, uh, grow their corporate business. I mean, there's lots of movements and dead-end movements happening in that part of the world, right, with some airlines. So is this a good move by Norwegian? Well, I was a bit curious when I saw this because they're not really saying what are they going to do. There is one, what I can sort of get out from out of that article is that they're obviously looking at a more co-branded program and I assume they'd then be looking for a partner in this part of the world that's going to make sense for them to work with because you know they're saying that they're expanding it and making it bigger and um, their rewards program today is I don't really consider it to be all that great they haven't done anything to it as far as I know in 15 years it really it, it needs innovation and it lacks innovation. I think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to evolve their current program. So they're at the point now where their program, I think, is kind of maxed out with their top tier travelers. So now they're trying to raise another level. I think they're trying to add another dimension to their program. I don't think they're going to go and add another program of any kind, but maybe they're going to add more partners. I do I do think this is a very good meanwhile story because there's been so much in the news about the Tata Group Air India Limited uh, aircraft order, which, you know, by the way, is obviously historic and uh, very, very significant. I was reading about the amount of jobs it was going to create in the States and in other countries, which is very, very significant, as well as the actual scale of this whole operation is beyond belief. But so your feeds, were, you know, were filled with those uh, stories. But there was another Indian aviation story, which was really 
really worthwhile reading about. And um, this was in a post by somebody called Vasuki Prasad, and he talked about uh, Star Air and um, how they are actually doing very, very well in that market. And he talked about the fact that they're using a very specific aircraft, an Embraer E-175, which is of a certain size that allows them to cover a very specific route, uh, routes like, um, I can't have pronounced some of those city names, but it, it basically meant they could fly on certain routes which were well suited for that type of aircraft. Um, I love that story because it, it is a good news story. It, it is a, it's a, it's a success story, but it's not actually give, getting a lot of attention because of all the dominant news from Air India. Right, Ash? Did you agree with me on that one? Yeah, but, you know, let's talk about the obvious, right? Which is that Air India is definitely making a big, big, big splash from the information that I did read. This purchase, uh, with Boeing and Airbus combined is biggest purchase order. And I think with Boeing specifically, it is the third largest Boeing order of all time. So we're talking about 400 planes. We're talking about 50, 60 billion dollars. This is incredible. I never really imagined that this day would come, quite honestly. And I thought that this was a wonderful story. And then, you know, to the Star Air story of, that you just mentioned, as India develops, as we have more, you know, secondary tertiary markets being created, uh, there's going to be an evolution in, you know, airlines that are doing specific routes. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there was another airline that launched from Goa. I'm blown away by it. I just think it's amazing. Yeah, I read a statistic to suggest that the aircraft order is worth the combined. GDP of 140 countries. The effort that Tata is going to put into this is just amazing. I've never seen anything quite like it. I know. I really enjoyed that article as well. And it is it is mind-boggling. And I mean, so is the Air India order. And, and it's it's just beyond anything we've, we've ever seen. Actually, that was my additional story this week. I saw another surfacing, which is in, interesting. And that is Indigo that is forming a partnership with Turkish Airlines. We have um, discussed this before. I've made a lot of comments. On, on LinkedIn, what I, I do believe why Wizz Air is moving into uh, the Middle East. And I said that they're picking up on the traffic going into um, from, from Indigo. That that was my assumption. But now I also saw, saw that Indigo and Turkish Airlines are forming this partnership, which is interesting because, I mean, I assume Indigo will be a ticketless airline. And um, so it'll be interesting how that partnership, what it will look like. Ash, I believe you have another story for us. And the type of story might be... In Space News this week from SpaceX, there is a really amazing story that came out. SpaceX actually launched two missions within a nine-hour window. They launched one from Florida, one from California. This is the second quickest timeline as far as two missions being launched back-to-back. Remember that at the beginning of the year, we talked about how Elon Musk had this desire to have as many as 100 launches uh, this year. Uh, And so we're going to move in that direction, and we're seeing this Falcon 9 rocket take off. The other thing that they launched was the Starlink satellite. For those of you who are not familiar with Starlink, Starlink is SpaceX's satellite internet constellation, as they call it. Did you know that there are over 4,000 different Starlink satellites in orbit right now? And the reason why this is important for travel is that today we have more and more cruise lines adopting the Starlink satellite internet connection and providing their passengers in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere, ability to access broadband internet through Starlink. So not only can you access this uh, Starlink satellite for uh, a couple hundred dollars a month uh, in the middle of nowhere on land, but you can also do it on sea. This is how space will help each and every one of us, even if we don't go to space. It's it's very significant that, because it just instantly opens up a whole different consumer 
market for those cruise lines, yeah, e.g. the youngsters who's absolutely dependent on good internet. And, you know, that's a fantastic selling point for them. So, uh, yeah, I can see that work. And also also for us nomads, right? Because I see now they, they're moving towards a fixed global package, which you can get for like $110 a month, which will let you use the internet anywhere in the world without having to tell them about your location. Again, it's just opening up more movement of people. So, again, for those in the audience joining us, I really appreciate it. It's nice to see the familiar faces and some new ones. Thank you very much to both you guys and to Anne and to Ash. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Rian. Thank you, Ash. Thank you all for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday, and it is all about linking the travel industry. Please do share this event with everybody that you know, and chances are high that if you enjoyed today's session, others that you know will as well. For those who cannot make it because of time zone or availability, this session is always available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. Thank you.